Welcome to Friends You Wish You Had. We are sometimes not the friends you wish you had, but sometimes we are. It's very difficult. Depends on my daily insecurity, anxiety, and depression. Today, I feel kind of in the middle. The two things that I'm interested in discussing is QAnon and also... Um, Cue it up. Cue it up, but also... Cue um, it up. Also, I, I haven't read the letter, which... Cue you know, it up. Sorry, say that again. <laughs> I haven't I'm going to cut read, that together into something. I haven't read the quote-unquote letter, the freedom of speech letter, <laughs> the cancel culture letter. I haven't read it yet. Um, I'm aware. I read the uh, list of signatories. It was a really bizarre list. I don't think I've ever seen a list of people more kind of, you know, across the spectrum of people that I respect immensely and have zero respect for people that 90% of the stuff they say I agree with and people that 99% of the stuff they say I disagree with. There's only one person who signed that thing that I respect. Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> like you people need to get a life, man. I hear, I hear. Get a life. So bizarre, but there's also been, uh, there's been, uh, I've seen on Twitter, some of the, some of the signatories have said, I was misled or I didn't have all the information. People are starting to backtrack off of it. People are starting to. They just to saw say, Chomsky's name and they're like, oh yeah, I'll be in good company. I feel like, like a lot of people. Well, and, the, and you don't understand. You got to have a rep. You don't have Chomsky's rep, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my wife, my wife was on a part of an organization where he was an honorary board member, and he didn't do shit, but he was an honorary board member, and uh, and I was just like, you know. But so you haven't uh, read the letter, but what are? Go back, tell me more of your thoughts on the letter. Well, okay, so I haven't read the whole thing. I've, I've read, I've read, I've read snippets of it as people were sort of pulling them out and posting them on various social media, and and I've read like an article about it, which you know had a link to the whole letter. Um, um, the most interesting thing I saw, and again, not my personal opinion, just what I've seen posted on social media from people that I respect. Um, was this concept of people being unfairly removed from their positions or being forced to resign from their positions um, for various transgressions that in the letter weren't named. They were just hinted at. They actually did. They never provided an example of this person did this and it was wrong. They sort of hinted at things. And you could guess what they were hinting at. They got close enough to it. Where, you know, for example, they said an editor at a prominent newspaper being removed for allowing an editorial that called for, the, you know, called for something controversial or something like that. In other words, um, the New York Times editorial page editor resigning because he let Tom Cotton say that the military should kill Americans for peacefully protesting seemed like a lot of bullshit to me. There's two quotes I want to read that really spoke to me. These are, these are just quotes about the idea of cancel culture. Yeah. Cancel culture is something that does not exist, but is a very popular concept among people who do terrible things and don't like being held accountable. So that's one. Mm. And the other one that really spoke to me, if you are concerned with how cancel culture is creating unjust outcomes in the workplace, 
wait until you hear about racism and sexism. <laughs> so and more, um, those two quotes really spoke to me about yeah. this whole idea of this thing that is so feared by kind of wealthy upper class people who feel the need to dick around on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they want to have a Twitter account, but they don't want the consequences of taking heat for shit they post on what is essentially their publishing platform. Yeah. I, I, my, one of my favorite <laughs> quotes, one of my favorite quotes about cancel culture, uh, a bit more, uh, just kind of a joke, but I agree with it is Jesus and Miro. They were talking about cancel culture. This is a while ago on their podcast and they were like cancel culture right now is like when you're Mario, you're playing super Mario and you eat the mushroom and you become big Mario and then like Goomba hits you and you become small Mario and you're not dead and you're still playing the game, but that's it. You just became, you went from big Mario to small Mario for a moment before you get another mushroom. Um, I got to think about that one, but I like it. I like it. I like those guys. <laughs> I dig it. It just um, means that it just mean it just means that like you know when people get hit by quote unquote cancel culture, they're not gone. Their careers haven't been ruined. You know they can keep doing what they're doing. Well, I I do accept that there are anecdotal stories of people whose careers have been kind of fucked up for some seemingly innocuous shit that you know got out of hand on social media i can accept that there's uh, there's always anecdotal examples of shit that doesn't mean that it's a trend yeah i'm I'm thinking about those but but what is one of those i was trying to think of that uh, earlier today i was like what is someone who really didn't deserve what happened to them and i'm sure it's happened it it must have happened like but the, the first thing that popped into my head at least as far as someone who Deserves got nothing to do with it. Sometimes it's not a fair world and that sucks. You know what I mean? Like for sure. But for most people, it's like, you know, shit that like they did that was terrible, you know, or very insensitive or dumb. You know what I mean? Like dumb, just dumb, like bad timing. You know what I mean? Bad timing. But but I'm saying you've got, you've got people who have sexually assaulted someone like Louis C.K., Right, and so he's he's thrown into the mix. I'm sure you know the the people who wrote that letter for Harper's weren't thinking of someone like Louis C.K. They were they were talking more about or or they used to go out to dinner with Louis C.K. They think he's a great dude. It's one right. it's one of two one of two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those people on that list are more likely to know Louis C.K. than me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like, but they're I feel they're at least try. I think they're trying to at least talk more about. You know, the marketplace of ideas and political discourse. And They're like, so here's an example. There's a guy, he was like a former pilot in the Air Force. And he's the director of like corporate PR or something for Boeing. And he's been there for like a long time, 20, 30 years. And it came out that 30 years ago, he wrote a very aggressive editorial about how women shouldn't serve in combat. And it it came to light and he quit his job or he was asked to quit. You know, he's gone from Boeing and he totally apologized and admits it was terrible. He was tone deaf. He didn't know what he was talking about, you know, total mea culpa, but he lost his job. 
And I'm like, you know what? If you're that high up in the Boeing infrastructure, you know what I mean? Like live by that sword, die by that sword. Like you make a lot of money and have a lot of benefits. And that's all in the game, man. You know, that sucks. But I, I feel for that guy. I get it. You know what I mean? Like whatever. But like a lot of people are working at fucking McDonald's. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, so, you know, this guy who was a Boeing executive who had a pretty successful career and an Air Force career. I, you know, I like, it's not a fair world and sometimes shit blows back on you. But the thing you wrote 30 years ago was fucking stupid and insulting, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was in the military 25 years ago and I didn't think that. So fuck off, you know, yeah. it's like, there's a little responsibility to be had. It's like there's, there's examples. There's that guy, Lee Fang, who's that very, very serious, very respected investigative journalist. He went after all those dark money groups, infiltrated them, got records, got them to pass some kind of campaign finance regulation to regulate them based on his reporting. And I think on the day of the first day of the real outbreak of um, hostilities in the street after George Floyd was murdered, he posted this thing on Twitter. He was going around uh, his neighborhood and interviewing people in the community and, and it's a mostly, you know, black neighborhood. And he interviewed one guy who said, I don't understand why people don't care more about black on black violence. You know, old guy lived in the neighborhood, had no problem saying it. He posted it that day. And one of his coworkers said, he's called him a racist and said he was sick of this, you know, and he got caught, he got taken, he didn't lose his job, but he had to do a public apology. He had to do a total, you know, a total fall on his sword, make things okay, whatever, because immediately like people all over the world were like retweeting this woman's tweet. Like she was also a reporter at, I think, I want to say Buzzfeed. Yeah. You know, so she had a presence and people are like, that's just, you know, why is he being, why is anyone, you know, that's his right to say that it's his first amendment right and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, there's definitely something to that. I get it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, this is your platform. You have an audience, you know what I mean? Like timing matters sometimes, like it sucks, you know what I mean? But those are like the outlier examples. Yeah, the people that are like, it's like Harvey Weinstein and Louis CK and Jeffrey Epstein and like, you know, these people who do these really terrible things, you know, all these people that are caught on video being disgusting racists and then lose their jobs over it. I mean, and they're like, well, that's cancel culture. Like whatever, man, like them's the breaks of the games, you know? But like, you know, it's canceled a lot more people is racism and sexism in the workplace. And I'm much more interested in those things. Yeah. And everyone on that letter is someone, you know, in a, in a position of privilege and power and is like, it's unfair that I could do something dumb and it could cost me everything. It's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, be, watch your rep if you're famous and you depend on the general public to like you. Well, you know, actually what you just said reminds me of something you said to me uh, off, off, off mic many years ago. Uh, when Me Too first started, you said to me, men are getting worried because their behavior is being just as scrutinized as women's behavior. You know, that, that, that shifted in society, you know, and a lot of men are really bothered by it, you know, to the point that they say terrible things and then they're worried about getting canceled. Can't ask a woman out on a date anymore without getting in trouble, man. <laughs> Sounds like that Tom Likas radio show from the back of the day on yeah. AM radio. When you oh, no, he's still, radio. he's still going. <laughs> he's got a – the only reason I know this is because a comedian I love does an impression of him 
but he um, he's got his own website now and does like I, I I don't know if he's he's like I don't know if he's on Patreon. Maybe it's like a Patreon type thing for men for men who can't be on the mainstream radio anymore. Okay, this brings up an interesting point. Something that's definitely been on my mind. So I've been thinking back in the day there used to be this this AM nationwide syndicated radio talk show. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. And it was like a midnight show. It was like Star Talk or Night Talk or something like that. And it was just people coming up and talking about their supernatural stories or their alien encounter stories. And the host was there to believe you. You know what I mean? And it was super entertaining. These people told these amazing stories. I remember that, actually. You know, amazing stories. They had these rich, rich fantasy lives. And they would just go on and on about alien abductions. And it was like the best, weirdest sci-fi kind of supernatural horror thriller whatever you want to call it was it art was it art bell yes art bell that was what was the name of the show um and there was actually a host after him too george nori i think his name was coast to coast am that could be it yeah but but so that was the content of the show you know and and it was clearly for entertainment it was on you know an am radio late at night one to five and now that has become news, like real news, like, and like QAnon is part of that. Like it's, it's become, it like is, it is gone from where it was just in this sort of, it was locked in this cage on AM radio. Like it couldn't escape. It couldn't ever get any like seep into the mainstream. And now with social media, it's just gone into the mainstream and become almost news, you know, people's just daily life. They consume it. QAnon is fascinating to me because, and I'm not a historian, but I think one of the most interesting things about QAnon is how it is a it is a religious cult, a sort of, um, and there are a lot of prominent QAnon people that are very big into UFOs. So there's a lot of that stuff, but it's also, in, but it's but it's tied in desperately to the current political situation. And I don't think that happens very often, at least in my personal experience. You know, um, certainly you had a senator go out to Jamestown, but I don't think that they were constantly talking about politics. They, you know, you have uh, politics gets involved, and certainly the FBI blew the shit out of David Koresh's stuff. But these people were not necessarily political in nature. They found something in him that brought, made their day-to-day so much more fascinating. So right. much more, you know, and and so I, I, I compare, you know, QAnon is a cult, but it's just uniquely tied to a single president, which is very unique to me. I heard, though, they existed before him and they exist in Canada and it's more of a movement than that i could be wrong i i trust you to know more q stuff than me well from what i know it's not so much that they that they specifically existed before him it's that there were a lot of there was a lot of anon stuff and there was a lot of stuff on different social media platforms and reddit and 4chan and all these places and a lot of them were like something anon ufo anon this anon anon, blah 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 there was one even called like I forget what it was called, but it was just like in in Intel Anon, and the guy was pretending to be a part of the intelligence services, which is very much what QAnon is doing. 
And the other thing this QAnon thing shows you that if you do get canceled, you can certainly find love from those people. You well, just got to yeah. say some Q stuff. And I feel this, like that's what started this conversation this week, seeing Mike Flynn and his family do the QAnon salute on July 4th and posting it on social media. That was ple- strange. And the crazy thing is the pledge that they did on social media was invented, was written and put on social media about like three, four weeks ago. That's not an old pledge. That's there was there, there was like a big QAnon guy, you know, his Twitter handle is like American flags and eagles and this and that. And he said, he said, you know, for everyone feeling down that he was right, you know, because a lot of QAnon people often post about how they are depressed because all the I'll things bet. they- I bet they do. Yeah, and all the things that they were promised haven't happened yet. And I bet they a lot of them have bad headaches. Yeah, and Hillary hasn't been arrested yet, and Michael Flynn is still dealing with his court case, and Roger Stone is still dealing with his shit, and all this stuff. Like there, there is not there. There's a little bit of rhyme or reason of who they like and who they don't like. You know, who they think is part of the problem and who they think is on their side. Um, Obviously, anyone who Trump fires is immediately a prick, um, so they don't like Bolton. But if you got arrested early on in the Trump administration, you're on, you're on their page. And it's just, it's, um, so yeah, so they, they get depressed and they often tweet about nothing has happened that we were promised would happen. Um, and what they were promised was that all these people would be arrested, especially Hillary Clinton, because they're horrible anti-American pedophiles who run human sex trafficking rings. And they're all still out there. And so they get depressed because it hasn't happened yet. And they have a lot of um, sort of back and forth about why that is. The most rational version of it from the more from the QAnon people that consider themselves the more the more rational is that you cannot um, dismantle a hundreds of year old elite pedophile ring in three years. You need more time. Trump needs more time. I forgot that the whole that QAnon thing is tied in with the Epstein thing too. Very I much. Forgot so. about that. Well, it was it was what it was before that. They were they had a they had a QAnon person show up at Comic Comet Pizza in Washington D.C. because Hillary ran a, a child sex trafficking ring out of the basement. Sure, um, but that, and that was before Epstein. Epstein just fit nicely into it. The 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 Epstein thing. So I finally watched that Netflix documentary they did about him. Yeah, I couldn't watch it, man. Which is, half of it is just victim statements. It's definitely very powerful. Just people that were exposed to some terrible shit. Yeah. But, you know, and I've certainly read a bunch of articles about him and his story. But I swear, I don't think anybody really knows what that guy did. You know, he was like the dude from Seven a little bit. Like, you know, you know Kevin Spacey's character. I mean, I don't know. That's probably a stupid analogy. But, I mean... He got his money in weird ways. No one really knew where the money came from exactly. He managed some rich people's accounts. He was, had, you know, accused of, you know, sex trafficking these young girls. There's, he had photographic equipment and video equipment everywhere. 
you know, he had all like, I mean, just, and I say all this, like, I don't know. I know that sounds a little crazy, but how he was able to beat that charge is unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like there needs to be an investigation into that. Like, you know, I saw where that guy who was the attorney general, I think he's like Mukasey, the last two years of the George W. Bush administration, he was the attorney general when they let that deal go through. Like he was Alexander Acosta's boss, basically. And like, what happened there? Because they had like an 80 page federal indictment. Like they had that guy dead to rights. You know, like when you're that dead to rights, like you don't, I don't care how many rich lawyers you hire. You know, yeah. like they're not impressed. You know what I mean? Like they, they're the federal government. You know what I mean? No one has more resources than the u.s attorney i mean maybe jeffrey epstein it's true um but they were able to just pull enough strings at so many different levels and whether it's because it was a real conspiracy like who knows like jeffrey epstein he could put 30 million in a bag and give it to you so who knows or it could just be that they were able to sell this story of like well they were just prostitutes anyway you know what i mean and the farther that went up the chain from the actual facts of the case people are like sure whatever you know like he gave money here he did this yeah. there but the fact that he beat that charge is like that's crazy and to me one of the things ways you could beat that charge is if you had some blackmail evidence on somebody you know what i mean like that's one way to beat that charge and then you look at sort of the reports of like what a kind of mysterious figure he was and how he was able to get money from people and the one business partner of his they really have in the show, the guy's like, yeah, we operated a Ponzi scheme together. And like, I took the fall for it. You know, he was my guy. I brought him into the scheme. And at the end of the day, like he seemed like a guy who was still very wealthy, but he did some time. It, it doesn't, and none of it makes any sense. I mean, not, not how he got all the money, not the weird connection that was proven where the, you know, I don't know if it was one of the, the Top guy, CEO or founder of Victoria's Secret. Yeah, that guy, the limited guy, Leslie Wexner. Which, like, apparently was, like, beholden to him for some reason. The cameras, the... The documentary it, implies they were flat out having a romantic relationship together. There's there's so much that's going to... that it has to come... It, just, it makes no sense. I mean, also, just... You said a lot of it. One strange detail that's certainly not as important as all the harm he caused, but that is just stuck in my head as who the fuck was this guy? Was that he had, he had the, he had the incredible, uh, you know, Manhattan style mansion somewhere in Midtown or whatever it was, or I don't know, Soho or whatever. He has like a $70 million home, like a five story. Like I think it's the largest private residence in the city or something like that. Which Wexler sold to him. That's right. That's right. And in the foyer or whatever the fuck you call it, in the in the when you walk in and like in the main room up on the wall was a giant painting of him of Jeffrey Epstein of himself that he commissioned in prison because he didn't want to because it was on his mind that at any moment he was going to be sent to prison. It was an obsession of his. It it's, doesn't make any goddamn sense. You mean the first time or the second time? Second time. Oh, I gotcha. It doesn't surprise me that a guy like, that any guy could be a sexual predator. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I don't think all guys are sexual predators, but like certainly he was wealthy and people are like, he's so wealthy, how could he do this? It's like, you know, because he's a criminal. But there's not many people, I think, who can beat that charge like that. 
Like, that was crazy. You know what I mean? Like, when someone can do that, beat that charge where the feds got you dead to rights and there's all these witnesses. I think there was even they've a done line. all this investigation. Like, they, yeah. they, you know, they, they really had him. There was even a line, I think, that I read in the initial when he first got arrested, the Florida thing with, um, with um, oh, God, why am I forgetting his name? Department of Labor. Alex Acosta. With Acosta. Um, that said, there was some line about how associates of his in the crime couldn't be prosecuted. Yeah, unnamed he, co-conspirators. He, like, he, not even, it's like he, anyone he said that was associated with it. It was like a blanket. They got immunity for other people that they didn't know of, that they wouldn't name. Just whoever was associated with me in this crime gets immunity. I mean, what pictures do you have of what person that they're like, yeah, just give this guy what he wants? It's fucking crazy. And then he's supposed to go to this, do this some jail time. He immediately gets work release. So he's basically, he's spending 12 hours a day, six days a week in his office, in his luxurious office with two sheriffs posted outside the door of the office to make sure he doesn't go anywhere with young women going in and out. Like who gets away with that? You know, who gets away with that? And the PI who was following him for one of the victims was like, this guy's violating the terms of his work release. I'm follow. I just followed him to Miami. I'm taking pictures of him in a, coming out of a hotel. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it under advisement. You know what I mean? This guy just totally, it seems like he had the Palm beach County DA in his pocket and ties to, Palm Beach County law enforcement and they said like he showed up in town and he made a few big donations to like the police benevolent association. So he was greasing those wheels. And then whatever he was able to do at the federal level is unbelievable. I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's, it, it makes you believe in conspiracy when you see that story. Well, it's one I don't of have my, any proof, but man, it's one of my favorite moments of QAnon. QAnon shows a photo of him with Clinton or says Clinton was on the flight log, and they go, he was involved. Clearly, Hillary was involved. Clearly, all these Democrats were involved. Meanwhile, they've got footage of Trump at a party, punching Epstein on the shoulder, giggling with him, and saying, these women are so hot. And does that mean that Trump is involved in any of that? No, not at all. But when you get back to QAnon and all the conspiracy theorists, it's kind of disappointing that they are so... This is when I say that they're just so stuck in the politics of it. I've never, I've never personally seen a cult or a conspiracy theory so irrationally tied to a single politician. It's like the next level. I feel like people, it has mutated all this stuff. And it's, you know, it's somehow maybe it's like in America, you know, the Catholic church has taken a lot of hits, you know, and the evangelical church has less members. And then especially with sort of like Trump's nihilistic ass in the White House, you know, where all these people have to support him. But obviously they know he's a giant hypocrite. Those people got to believe in some kind of magic. So they found this QAnon magic, you know, and it doesn't make any demands on their morals but it's just as good of a story, you know, and it's unfolding in real time in front of them. You know what I mean? That's a damn good point, actually. It makes Maybe no something d- like that. I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's makes crazy. No, it makes no demands on their morals. It's like there's just these, 
these things out there, these convenient excuses, and there's no oversight. Like no one's ever hold, held accountable for these giant national disasters. And we're in the middle of one right now. And like there's QAnon saying, oh, it's all a conspiracy. It's like, sometimes it feels like a conspiracy. But I mean, I'm like Michael, going back to the Michael Flynn stuff, man, he's like a three-star general or something. Like, why is he doing stuff? I know he's a crook. They support him. They're the only ones who support him. Any, he's like any fan, any fan loyalty is good loyalty. Hey, I'd feel the same way if I was in the position. Those are my people. And that was Friends You Wish You Had. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Roman. Thanks for joining.